You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast where we explore the life and careers of Eastern Iowa's most influential business leaders. Tim Semmelroth is a partner with RSH Legal, a Cedar Rapids law firm focused on representing the injured and disabled. If you live in the corridor, you've probably seen his face on a billboard or a commercial, but we wanted to learn a little bit more about the man behind the message. Tim is a Drake and University of Iowa alum, a former adjunct professor, and a member of the American College of Trial Lawyers. He's helped grow RSH into a 10-lawyer firm representing Iowans across the state, and he has even bigger aspirations for the future. I talked with Tim about his earliest experiences with law, his path to becoming the face of the firm, and how he keeps himself up to date in such a fast-changing industry. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. All right, Tim, thanks so much for for taking the time. Talk to me a little bit about your path to being a lawyer and growing up here in the, in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area. Um, was it always something that, uh, that, that you saw in your, in, in, in your future? Pretty early on. So my, my dad worked in a factory. My mom was a teacher. I had never met a lawyer until I showed up in social studies class when I was in middle school in Mr. Efting's social studies class. And he pitched this idea that, hey, uh, there's this program called Mock Trial, mm-hmm. and you can learn about what a lawyer does, and you can put on cases. And, and so he pitched that. He said that we were going to get a day off of school, <laughs> and I was in. And that I, I can probably trace most of the best things that have happened to me professionally to being in that social studies class. That's awesome. And as being able to speak and argue your case, is that something that, that you look back as a, as a kid that all you were really good at doing that, or is that a skill you've picked up over time? Oh, I think I think my parents would tell you that, <laughs> that I, I definitely like to argue. Get some more allowance and, yeah, yes, negotiating yes. your way through that. And so it was. Uh, it, it's, it's a great way to develop presentation skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great way to learn teamwork. First team I was ever on with girls, and, uh, you know, that was an important thing where I realized, wow, these – they're great teammates. I, I you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, so it was. It was definitely uh, the thing that that drew me to the practice of law because every mock trial team has a lawyer, uh, an actual lawyer who who coaches the team. Mm-hmm. And so, in doing that in middle school and in high school and in college, I had a chance to meet a lot of great lawyers from throughout Iowa, and and that helped me realize, like, hey, that I think I want to be somebody like that. Right. Um, and then as you went through high school, was there anything that you did growing up? Because you own your own practice now or a partner uh, at your law firm. Um, and that's a whole other, you know, owning a business, operating a business is different than, than practicing law in and of itself. Did, did you do anything entrepreneurially as a, as a kid growing up that kind of had that business, scratch that business itch? Well, uh, my, I still go back to the middle school where uh, I learned mm-hmm. about mock trial and I, I helped coach the team. And so the, one of the the unfortunate sides of that is that the teacher gets to tell stories about me, and now my kids, you know, uh, go to that go to that school and hear those stories. And so one <laughs> of the stories he likes to tell is when I was in middle school, 
uh, I would stop at the gas station and I would buy candy at the gas station and then I would bring it to St. Pius Elementary School and, and sell it for a markup. <laughs> so nice. I, I guess uh, entrepreneurialism is something that, that's uh, been part of me for a long time. That's great. And then once you finished uh, high school there at Cedar Rapids, you went on to uh, Drake for your undergrad, correct? Did you have a variety of different options? No, was it wasn't at that point where you were still kind of lasered, lasered in on a, a career as a lawyer? Well, I so I, I admired a lot of lawyers. I thought that might have been something I wanted to do, but I was not a great student in high school. Okay. And so uh, I went to Drake, thankfully, because they let me in. <laughs> and, uh, and and so one of the, the big turning points for me in, high sc- or in, in college was I, I show up the first week. Uh, I had gotten a pretty good uh, AP test score, and so I wanted to get out of freshman English. And so I remember going into the, uh, the dean's office and saying, hey, you know, based upon this AP score, can I get out of freshman English? And he opens up my file, and he says, uh, uh, Mr. Semmelroth, uh, I'm looking at your test scores here, and I'm looking at your grades. I see you're an underachiever. <laughs> and uh, that just hit me. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I, I decided I was going to be a better student. And the great thing was, and, and one of the reasons why I went to Drake, besides the fact they'd let me in, is they had uh, one of the best college mock trial programs in the country. And so great. I, I joined that program, and we ended up playing a national championship when I was there. And so that definitely, uh, if there was any doubt as to whether or not I was going to go to law school, it, uh, all, all those doubts were resolved uh, during my time at Drake. So you had a nice, long-standing, illustrious mock trial career. Is there anything looking back, like college, high school days, or earlier? Is there like one, one trial or one moment there that would be your, uh, you know, sort of your highlight growing up? Or a memory from, from mock trial? Uh, you know, it, there are different things that, that, that stand out for you. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, middle school, and we were actually judged by a, a law professor at Drake. Mm-hmm. And uh, af- after the round was over, I had cross-examined somebody, and he, he said, you know, uh, Mr. Selmeroth, you – your cross-examination was nice, but if I had had a flag, I would have flagged you for unnecessary roughness. <laughs> you laid it on thick, huh? What, what, is a, what makes a successful cross-examination? What, 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 if you were to name the top three things that make, make that successful, what would that be? Well, you have to have a plan, uh, and, and you're really telling a story. So the idea is that you are uh, telling the story that you want to tell through the witness. And hopefully you're asking the questions in a way that they just have to say, mm-hmm. yes, they and have to agree. Leading them into it as you, as you go forward, yeah. Exactly. And then what have you refined over the years? I mean, what, what areas within a cross-examination as a lawyer have you gotten better at? Where, where do you think, or where do you have more room for mastery as you look ahead? Well, the biggest thing that you have to realize is in a courtroom, uh, unlike, uh, unlike a movie, the, the jury doesn't think that you're the star, mm-hmm. okay? They, uh, they sympathize a lot more with the witness. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I had to work on was making sure that I'm treating the witness with respect because I want the jury to think that I'm being reasonable with this person and that I'm just getting to the truth of the matter. And if I'm up there beating somebody up, the jury's going to think this guy's a jerk right. and, uh, and that's not going to serve my client well. Yeah, and there's an art form for that, right? I mean, that's something you probably can't just learn in, in law school. That's something you got to learn over time and knowing people and the interpersonal skills and reading the room and talk a bit about how you've developed some of those skills. Well, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that I think have helped me in, in being in the courtroom. Uh, 
I think back to I was uh, the longest job I had before I was a lawyer was I was a uh, counselor at a Boy Scout camp for eight years. Okay. And so that having to uh, uh, get the attention of a bunch of boys between the ages of <laughs> 10 and 16. Yeah, if you could do that, then you make the, the courtroom look really easy. Exactly. And and so you know, that, that was a really important thing. I find that there are a lot of lessons that I learned at, at Boy Scout camp that translate well to, uh, to being a good trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I, I've had the benefit of a lot of good mentors who uh, I, I, I learn a lot from uh, everybody who I've worked with. How do you keep up? I mean, I know there's a bunch of other components to being a lawyer than just in the courtroom, but are there ways that you continue to hone your, your courtroom skills? Are there, you know, professional development outlets, those sort of things that are available to you? Or how do you know, mentor groups? What does that look like for you now? How do you? Absolutely. So uh, in Iowa, you need to do 15 hours of continuing legal education a year. And I am, uh, they call it CLE. I am a CLE junkie. So <laughs> I, in, in a given year, I will do probably three, three and a half times that much. And wow. so the thing that I've been doing recently is there's a famous uh, lawyer from Wyoming, Jerry Spence. Okay. And he has a a ranch out in Wyoming where you can go and and uh, and learn uh, with lawyers from around the country. And so for the past three years, I go there uh, uh, for at least the the first time you go through it. It's a three week long program, oh, wow. uh, but now the the graduate level programs are a week long. And so I do that every August. And uh, just the chance to to learn from people around the country is really uh, is really amazing. And he's you know he's one of the great trial lawyers of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of our time. And so the chance to, to learn from him, even though, I mean, he's, he's getting up there, he's in his 80s, is still, uh, still pretty impressive. What are his hallmark characteristics, Jerry Spence's? Like if you were to define his, how he handles a courtroom, what would they be? He uh, com- wants you to be able to, to be yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and recognize that, that it starts with yourself, that, that if, if you are telling an authentic story uh, your client's story in an authentic manner, and the jury believes you and believes you care about your client, then you're going to have success more often than not. Is there, looking back on your professional career as a lawyer, has there been um, a mistake or two that you've made that you've learned the most from, during, whether it be in the courtroom or with a, a client or anything along those lines? Has, has there been something that's really, you know, kind of forced you to go back and reexamine how you did things? Sure, sure. Uh, I think that when I started, I thought that I could just focus on uh, explaining to people what's going to happen in the legal process and helping them guide through that. But what I've realized is that in order to, to truly serve your client, you have to appreciate what's going on in the other aspects of their life. And right. so uh, a lot of people who come to me have been seriously injured. And so uh, giving them guidance, uh, helping them through the medical uh, treatment that they need, uh, helping them in terms of the, the bills that they're facing, giving them some ideas as to how to deal with that. And so I spend a lot of time now early on uh, explaining to them holistically the process that, that's going to take place after they decide to hire me uh, to the resolution of their case so that it's not something that, that they're just uh, – I, I can't just be – talking to them about legal things they, yeah. they need more than that to get where they need to go yeah because yeah, for them it's 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 all encompassing right and you've you dedicated your most of your professional career as a lawyer to, to working with these sort of these folks that are you know been seriously injured or uh, you know 
sometimes wrongful deaths, those sort of things. And these are people that are at very vulnerable moments, but lawyers can choose to represent companies or governments, whatever that might be. Talk a bit about how your path to, to, your, you know, to this uh, specific niche that you've carved out as a lawyer. Well, if you decide that you're going to be a trial lawyer, ultimately you're going to be representing somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have to decide who you want to represent. And as you say, you know, some people choose to represent the, gov- the government. Some people choose to represent corporations. Those are both honorable routes. But I wanted to represent people like my parents, working people. And uh, more often than not, when they need a lawyer like me, it's when something horrible has happened. And so those are the people that, that I like serving best. Right. And then talk a bit about the history of, of our SH Legal and your law firm and how you came to be a partner and, and sort of the nuance of, of running, uh, running that business. Well, after law school in Iowa, I clerked for a, a federal judge. And then I had to decide where I wanted to go. And there was one firm, it was two lawyers in Cedar Rapids, John Riccolo and David Baker. And uh, I, I got introduced to them through a couple of different uh, avenues. And I met them and realized these are the type of lawyers that I want to learn from. Mm-hmm. And that decision is the most important professional decision I ever made because uh, the chance to learn from them and the chance to join their firm has, has made all the difference. And then talk a bit about your path into partner and where you're at now and, and some of the things that you guys are working on growing the firm and what, you know, from a business standpoint, what are some of the, the most immediate goals on your guys' plate? So when I started with the firm, we had two lawyers. I was the third person that they hired. Uh, they had five support staff. Uh, now we have 10 lawyers in the firm, and I'm actually on my way to the University of Iowa. Go find some more. <laughs> yeah, because i gotta, I got to hire some more. And we have uh, 20 support staff. And so we've grown because one of the things I've learned that they don't teach in law school is that the most dangerous number in business is one. You, you can't have all your, your clients coming from the same source. You can't uh, get all of your... Uh, new cases from the same marketing, mm-hmm. and and so uh, we've we've diversified over the years, and so uh, we have lawyers who help people with workplace injuries. We have lawyers who help people uh, who are in the social security disability system, uh, who've been uh, people who help, lawyers who help people who've uh, been uh, neglected or abused in nursing homes, uh, hospitals, and so that's something where uh, we're we're always looking at: is there another way? that we can serve people in, uh, in using the skill set yeah. that, w- that we have. How do you uh, approach that when something's new there, but you guys have your, have your own expertise? How do, you, how do you gauge and evaluate new opportunities? Well, first of all, it has to be consistent with our core mission. So, you know, our, our tagline that people know from television or whatever is fighting for fairness. And so is it consistent with that? And, and then we have our, our target, target audience, which are working people. And so, you know, is it something that they need? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so if, if, it, if it's consistent with our mission and it's consistent with the people that we serve, then it's something that we'll take a look at. But one of the things that has been really helpful for me is not staying in my lane in terms of running the business. So, for example, the best I- ideas that I get about marketing the best ideas I get about management don't come from the legal profession. They come from every, everything else. And so, so, I mean, I get great ideas on, you know, how to have a good customer experience when somebody walks in our office from 
you know, going to my dentist. Right. You know, I, I get uh, a great idea about how to educate somebody about uh, the, the service that you provide from a, a lawn care business. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've, I've really tried to, to hone over the years is uh, looking at other businesses, seeing what they do, and trying to be creative enough to figure out how can we take those good ideas and translate them to the practice of law. That's awesome. That's a great approach. What's been the most challenging thing for you? Uh, you go to school to learn how to be a lawyer around running and operating a business. What's what is the most challenging thing now, other than finding the time because you're you know practicing law full time and then also helping grow and manage a business? Oh, I think everything. Uh, I, I, I you know the the marketing of the business, uh, human resources. Uh, we're, we're in the process of expanding right now, and so one of my partners is uh, responsible for dealing with the contractors and everything like that. And so it's, it's, uh, there, there's nothing in law school that prepares you for any of those things. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that has helped our firm is that we, we've sort of picked lanes. Uh, I, have, I have two partners, and, and we each have a lane. And so the lane that I picked uh, relatively early on was, our, was marketing. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, that's, I, I consider probably one of my biggest jobs, other than representing the clients who hire me, is to make sure that all the lawyers in my office have plenty of work. Sure. How, how would you define your guys' approach to marketing and business development? What are, how are you guys attacking that as a, as a firm? Education-based marketing. Okay. Uh, uh, the, and, and that is that we try to create as many resources as possible for the public so that they can decide whether or not they need a lawyer, whether or not a lawyer is going to help them. And so we publish books and we do webinars and we are, we are, are, we are posting uh, video blog articles all the time. Content marketing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Anything so that when people go looking for a question uh, about a legal issue in an area that we represent people in, they can get a lot of information from our website, from our books, and we'll give all that out for free. And then if they decide based upon that that, that they want to hire us, we can talk to them about that. But at the very least, we've given them information so they can make good decisions on their own. Sure, that's great. And law firms like yours, you know, are very prominent within a community, and I know it's really important for you to, you know, to play an important role within within the region, the Iowa City, Cedar Rapids area. Talk a bit about your approach to um, kind of community-centric business ownership and the role that you, that you play uh, within the community? Well, one of the things that I, I learned in trying to teach myself marketing is the, the most important clients are the people who you've already represented. And so uh, we focus on, first and foremost, making sure that we continue to, to be part of their lives, even after we're done with their case. So we have a, a monthly newsletter that they get until they tell us they don't want it. You know, they get birthday cards, they get holiday cards, and and so that's that's a key. And then you know, the next level are the lawyers. A, a lot of our cases, almost uh, thirty percent of our cases, are referred to us by other lawyers who wow. who uh, and so making sure that we're communicating with them. I speak a lot, and my partners speak a lot at continuing legal education seminars, mm -hmm. so that lawyers who do different sorts of work understand what we do and then you know the last level and that's really what's happened in, in recent years is that you know we need to make sure that uh, you know it used to be uh, if somebody needed a lawyer they would talk to somebody that they knew at church or they'd talk to a friend or whatever 
now they're today. Google, they're Googling you. <laughs> exactly. They're Googling you. And so that means we have to make sure that uh, – we're top of mind and and you know that can mean seo if people are going online but it also means you know we're, we're on television uh you know we have billboards things like that and so mm-hmm. uh all of those things so that hopefully you know we have enough name recognition that when somebody thinks that they need a lawyer like us that that we're the first person they think of sure have you seen much disruption one of the things we talk a lot about uh on real success is just people how they're dealing with disruption and technology and in their industry and those sort of things have you seen and encountered much of that in the in, in your line of work in, in the in the legal world and how do you see that playing out over the next five ten years and changing even more absolutely uh one of the biggest changes i call it uh, and I think somebody else came up with this, it, but it's it's the the Amazon effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can go online and you can go shopping for whatever you want without ever leaving your house. And uh, similarly, you know, if if that's how people are conditioned that they can buy things that normally they would drive to a furniture store or even a car dealership, right? Uh, you know, now they want to do that online. It's no different in the practice of law. And so people want to go online. They may want to talk to a lawyer on the phone. But ultimately, uh, the idea of like driving to Cedar Rapids and signing a contract or doing this, they're, they're constantly asking, well, how much of this can we do online? Virtually, yeah. And point. so we, we are investing a lot in our, our infrastructure so that we have the ability to do that. Can, they, can people e-sign things? Uh, can, if they give us information once, uh, is our database set up so that we can put that in whatever format they need instead of instead of uh, constantly sending them papers that they have to sign or fill out? Right. And so that's probably uh, I think the biggest challenge is that you know twenty you know twenty some years ago when I started people wouldn't consider hiring a lawyer without being in the room with them and sizing them up. Right. And now I think more and more people are just like okay I'm talking to you on the phone yeah you seem all right. Uh, what do we have to do to get this thing going? And sure. and it, you've got to be able to have a, a system in place to to meet them where they want to be. Right. What what are the unique human skills that you think can't or shouldn't be disrupted in the in the legal industry? I mean, are there things that are really important for you with a client that you would never move virtually? Are there any of those sort of things? Sure. The 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 biggest thing what I tell clients when they come in for the first time is I say you need to decide whether or not we're communicating well. If if I'm talking to you and you don't understand what I'm saying or I'm hard to follow, then you probably shouldn't hire me. Right. And and the reason why is because ultimately I'm going to be telling you you have to make very serious decisions and you have to trust me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, then then that's not going to work out down the line. And sure. so so I, I tell people I said, you know, go talk to you, you can talk to multiple lawyers. Ultimately, you should hire the one who you understand, who you feel like you have a connection with. And obviously, uh, given that I'm, you know, I'm of the age where people used to come into the office, I'd, sh- I'd prefer to sit down and meet right. with somebody. But the important thing is that they have to be able to, when we're talking, you know, are, that they feel like we're actually communicating. Yeah, that's great. If you were to fast forward 15, 20 years down the line and look at RSH Legal and your law firm, and what, what does success look like? looking that far out into the horizon? Where, where are the goals? Where do you want to push push the business to? Well, the most important thing is that as we grow, I still want to make sure that we have the same reputation 
in the legal community and the, the same reputation in the state of Iowa. And so that is first and foremost giving great legal representation to the people who choose to hire us. And so I want to grow, but that can never change. If, if, uh, if I ever start hearing that, that judges don't respect a lawyer from our firm when they come in, if, if I hear that, uh, that people uh, don't think of us as you know, the firm to go to, uh, when there's been a serious injury or death uh, caused by somebody else, then then I would know that that is not success. Right. Otherwise, uh, we want to help as many people as, as we can. Mm -hmm. And so you know, that's going to involve growth. Uh, that's going to involve uh, interacting with people in different ways. One of the things that we do is uh, you know, we put on webinars every month for people uh, with particular legal problems. Wow. And, and uh, I'm not sure that, that many law firms do that, mm -hmm. particularly not for, for the general public. They may do it for business clients. And I want to do more of that because uh, the more that people are making good decisions, good legal decisions, uh, when they have the information, then, uh, then I know that, that we're doing our job and, and that we're making, making that part of, of Iowa a little bit better. Um, we'd like to end these interviews with just some quick uh, rapid-fire questions, just kind of off the, off the top of your mind, give, give folks a little bit uh, a glimpse inside of, you know, your, your personal life. Um, if you were to look back sort of on your whole career, how much of your success would you contribute to hard work versus luck? Luck, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the fact is, is that while I think I work hard, you know, there are people in sweatshops all over the world who work harder than I do. Right. Uh, nothing has had a bigger impact on my success than being born in the United States, uh, uh, growing up the, the, the son of Dick and Pat Semmelroth. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, everything after that is, is, is gravy. I, I never want to be one of those people who is born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Right. I mean, I, most of the opportunities that I have are just because I was in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. Um, if given the chance, what profession other than being a lawyer would you most like to attempt? I always think that I would have loved to have tried being a writer on Saturday Night Live. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I love that show I have ever since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, you read uh, books about it, and it just seems like a really fun, creative, exciting place to be. And that's something that I always think, gosh, I, I wish I would have taken the shot. But as I sit here today. It's a tough gig, getting, the, yeah, yeah, getting those yeah. jokes, the one-liners in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I sit here today, uh, you know, since that's probably not in the cards for me, uh, I think to myself, you know, it would be really great to be an unpaid intern for Coach Doyle's strength and conditioning program. <laughs> I, I don't know if he'd ever take, you know, uh, an old, you know, old lawyer to uh, to work for a semester for him for free, but uh, I, I follow him on Twitter and uh, he's a motivational guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna follow him too. He's a, he's a great follow. Good good morning wisdom to kind of get your day going. And yeah, he uh, they have an old thing at Iowa. And Coach Doyle's the, the strength conditioning coach for the Iowa football team. For those people that don't know, but if you were one minute late, you had to push the you had to get down and push this four by four piece of wood across the entire weight room, which is about you know 60 70 yards back and forth for about 15 20 minutes in front of the rest of your teammates while they're doing their lifts. So he he knows a thing or two about teaching teaching folks about hard work and doing things the right way. But yeah, that'd be, that'd be a fun, uh, fun internship for a summer for sure. Whipping those guys into shape. And that, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, how about outside of the legal industry? Is there a business leader that you look up to or, or followed? Greg Popovich, the head coach for the yeah. San Antonio Spurs. I, uh, I, I've admired him for, for a while. I love the fact that he speaks his mind. I love the fact that, uh, you know, he, 
finds a way to reinvent his team uh, as, as he needs to. But I just read an article uh, on ESPN.com about the team dinners that he yeah, puts together. Yeah, I read that same article. And uh, I just – I just get, I just admired him all the more after mm-hmm. after reading it everything from being a great tipper you know for the when he, when they have the dinners to making sure that everybody is welcome and mm-hmm. and that they're learning something so I, uh, I I would say that he's probably the person that comes to mind that's great you have a TV show or podcast anything that you're watching or listening to right now uh, well, up until last year I would have said anything that Anthony Bourdain does yeah. so whether it's uh, uh, no reservations or, or parts unknown. Obviously, you know he died last year, and so I don't. I, I listen to a lot of books uh, on Audible. Okay. And so rather what's than speed, what do you what do you listen to? You go two X or regular <laughs> speed, or what's your one point five? Okay. But I I've been uh, an Audible subscriber for the past uh, fifteen years, and I was shocked. Uh, I was looking at my library and. You know, I have like 200 books really? in the past 15 years that that I've I've listened to, and and so that's what I listen to is is whatever the mm-hmm. you know. So there are certain authors that that I always you know if, if Michael Lewis writes a book, oh, yeah. you know I, I'm downloading that. Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. uh, Seth Godin, people yeah. like that. What's your how do you digest those books? You're listening to them on tape. Are you are you a note taker? Are you what are you, how are you getting your your key pieces of information? It's always something. The hard copy for me is always good because you can you can highlight you can. You know, make notes on the on the margin. But when you're listening to an audible, what's your best way for capturing that information? I will. A lot of times, I'll just dictate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will, uh, particularly if, if if I can stop and then dictate, dictate something. And so uh, it's probably not the safest way to drive <laughs> down the road in right. Iowa. But uh, but that's I, my my secretary gets these uh, uh, you know gets these d- documents. Uh, you know, sends them back to me with just these bullet-pointed notes of different ideas I get from a book that I listen to. That's awesome. Um, if you had 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it? Well, because that we have three kids at three different schools, if I had 30 minutes, I would spend that time going for a walk with my wife. Uh, that's the only time that we get a chance to talk about anything except logistics, who's, <laughs> who's getting who to what practice when. I know, I know that feeling firsthand, too. Uh, how about a motivational quote? Is there, if you, if you were to hang something up at the law firm up, up by the front door, what would it be? Strong people stand up for themselves. Stronger people stand up for others. That's awesome. Obviously, rings true with with, uh, with the work you're doing. Uh, and then the final question we'd like to end with, uh, in just in one sentence, how would you define success? I think that uh, Baden Powell, the founder of the Boy Scouting movement, uh, had the best definition of success, and that is. Uh, if you have left a place better than you found it. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Tim, for taking the time. Thank you. It's great to be here. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.